Welcome back to the golden age of optimism. My name's John Charles Harmon. I'm an author, a musician, a scientist, and a Buddhist. This podcast is for the purpose of reading my novels into the podcast in audio form. So if you want to really enjoy the podcasts, you start with episode one. That will be the beginning of a book. We are continuing with Octal and the Five Planets of Han. The plan that they formed was one that was going to take years to implement and accomplish. All knew it would have to change along the way, but at the same time, all knew the underlying importance of accomplishing the main goals. Mark was going to be used as a conduit to bring new technologies and ideas into human culture. Mark flew to Seattle with Shala, who pretended to be his companion. They approached one of the top aerospace firms and said that they had located a stack of patents recently that had been filed for numerous new technologies. They told a tale of how Mark had an old German neighbor that had died and had passed a number of the ideas on to Mark, and then Mark had put them under patent. The aerospace firm asked no more questions, and when Mark and Shala returned the following day for another meeting, the company made an offer to Mark to purchase the patents at an unbelievable price. Mark, as already planned, refused the offer. Mark told the company executives that he was retired from the CIA and he was already wealthy. He didn't need the money. He played the game with them that he could easily sell the patents to other companies, or if he wanted to, he could even give them to the U.S. government. But that is not, not what he wanted to do. There were more meetings and more meetings, and eventually Mark revealed that the intent he had by approaching them was so that he could form a new spin-off company with them as partners. But he needed the controlling interest so that the new technologies could be used in ways that he deemed would have the most value to creating a harmonious and peaceful planet. The aerospace company wanted Mark on board with them and saw a lot of value in any deal that Mark presented these were technologies and patents that would take their company to historical heights, not only in monetary measures, but in ways that would change the future of the planet. Over another two-week period, attorneys from both sides met and the agreements were drawn up. Mark and Shala then moved to Seattle. They now had a private company jet and would return to the property only on certain occasions. George stayed with the aliens and brought them the supplies they needed to expand the bomb shelter and make it even more comfortable for themselves. As part of the agreement, Mark remained as a, quote, ghost investor, unquote, through a secondary company and allowed the aerospace company to take credit for the technologies that were going to be developed. Per the agreement, the fusion reactor and their intergalactic vehicle were to remain secret projects until Mark decided when 
they would be revealed to humanity. The aerospace company, at Mark's direction, purchased a large piece of land near Bakersfield, only 80 miles or so away from Mark's property, to be used as the developmental headquarters for the intergalactic vehicle and the nuclear fusion reactor. It was in a remote area, and Mark, along with the others from the newly formed company, obtained all the needed permits from the federal government in exchange for allowing the federal government to incorporate the new technology into their NASA program once the prototypes were built and tested. Mark's former bosses, along with much higher up government officials, put Mark through rigorous questioning and suspected now that he had received the ideas for the technologies from the aliens that had escaped from the New Mexico ranch. They spied on Mark's property and then confronted him in a dramatic meeting where Shala was present with him. They never suspected Shala to be a robot. Mark had an idea that they had guessed what exactly was going on and discussed that with Bork and Mr. Kin. Mark cut a deal with the government to leave him and the aliens alone until after the projects were completed by promising them one of the intergalactic vehicles that was being built and other technologies in exchange for privacy. He let them know that the aliens were prepared to die rather than being exposed to the government or public at this time. The deal was hashed out and now it appeared the aliens would be left alone and Mark, George, Akhtal, and Shala would be the keeper of the aliens. Shala and Akhtal went completely under the radar and no one suspected them as, as having anything to do with the aliens. That would not last forever, and they all knew it. Everything seemed to be moving along as planned for Bork and Mr. Kin. Their new home was comfortable, and Mark had turned out to be more than capable to be their front man as they began to exert their influence on the planet. After only one year, the company that Mark had formed with the aerospace company had successfully tested the nuclear fusion process. Mankind's dream of virtually free energy would someday come true, and Mark was in control of how it would be eventually revealed and used. Mark fed the scientists more information bit by bit on a variety of other highly advanced technologies. The main goal now was to build an intergalactic vehicle that was an exact clone of the one that the aliens had blown up when they left New Mexico. The project was to be kept under wraps, and all involved were happy with the progress. As the various new technologies came about and spread around the globe, they had the desired effect. Planet Earth was gradually entering into an era of more stability and peace. The Earth eventually would at last have access to almost unlimited energy, and the U.S. government would have the rights to the first reactors. George often introduced Octal to others as his wife. It was easy to do because they were so close. Octal never questioned George when he did present her as his wife. George and Octal were intense lovers, but even more intense was the friendship and the mentoring 
on the part of Octal. George was constantly learning and becoming even more of a genius than he already was. He enjoyed staying behind the scenes and offering his suggestions. Octal constantly stimulated George's mind. The effect the aliens were having on Mark and George was a good one. They both discussed how they felt younger and more energetic. Ernie remained on the fish farm that was now thriving. George and Octal would visit Ernie and his family every once in a while, but Mark, Mark rarely visited, mainly because he was just too busy. The friendship was still strong between Mark and Ernie, but there was a bit of an, an invisible barrier. Ernie felt some jealousy towards both Mark and George, but he kept the feeling hidden. He had nothing to complain about. Mark was becoming incredibly wealthy. He began expanding his holdings into other corporations with a team of select advisors. He could see he was becoming more or less a human-like version of Mr. Kin. Events were moving by at just an incredible pace. The thinking of world leaders was changing each day. The oil and gas-dominated world was undergoing an evolutionary shift. Greed no longer held the power it had held on the planet throughout the Industrial Revolution. A new revolution was taking place due to silicone technology and the new clean energy technologies that were in a large part introduced through Mark and the aliens. Everything was moving as planned by Bork and Mr. Kin. The aliens had only to wait now until the prototype intergalactic vehicle was completed by the corporation Mark had set up. It was only a matter of time, and time was passing in a peaceful manner, which made everyone happy and comfortable. Chapter 13, The Passing. Ten years later, Mark, George, and Ernie were now in their in their late 40s. Their health was good, except that Ernie now had somewhat of a growing beer belly and his dark hair was mostly gray. He seemed to age, have aged the most of the three friends. Mark and George seemed to have aged very little. They all knew this was somehow an effect from being in close proximity to the aliens. Mr. Kin, at one point, clarified the concept with Mark and George by letting them know that it was totally an effect of being close to Bork and not the Marins. Mr. Kin told them that Bork had the same effect on them. When Mark brought this up with Bork, Bork just laughed and said, quote, that idea is all in your head, unquote. Mark did not know what that meant, so he never pressed the issue again. It was nice enough to know that he seemed to be aging at a slower pace because of his proximity to Bork, whether it was true or just in his head. George and Octal were still deeply involved. They were close friends and lovers. Octal, of course, had not aged at all, and she looked almost exactly the same for occasional changes in her hair color and hairstyle. George stayed with the aliens and Octal. Shala was often traveling with Mark. Mark and Shala were lovers, but the relationship did not have a lot of passion, which seemed to be the way that Mark preferred it because he was 
Not sure that he wanted to be involved with the robot created by aliens. The fact that she was a robot did not bother him at all, and as far as he could tell, there was no difference whatsoever between Octal and Shala, unless, of course, you discuss that topic with George. George did not view Octal as a robot, but as a human. He actually felt she was by far the best human woman he had ever known. Not, of course, that he had ever known or had many relationships with any human women. Either way, Mark took the occasional conversations and the obvious infatuation that George had with an alien robot in stride. He knew the two of them were breaking all normal concepts of relationships. Mark was trying to view his life and what had been accomplished over the past 14 years as not just extraordinary, but now as part of his mission in life. The aliens were now his closest friends and trusted advisors. He had learned that they had incredibly altruistic beliefs about life and the preservation of life. They were always thinking, yet they were also able to change their plans on a moment notice if circumstances dictated it. Because of the aliens' influence on Mark, he had become a dedicated philanthropist. He had accumulated an incredible amount of wealth in a short amount of time. He took up painting and sculpting as a hobby. His property had been transformed into a very lavish and comfortable location Their complex was far enough away from any city that they could all feel comfortable and safe. The very expensive and detailed security system that they'd installed allowed them to keep any intruders far from them. To date, they had only a few incidences with some local kids. Mark went to his office in Bakersfield every few weeks or so to attend meetings or meet with investor clients. The office was staffed full-time to handle all of the inquiries. The intergalactic vehicle was near completion, and soon the aliens would make their planned escape back to their home planet of Mara. Of course, they had never seen the vehicle that was being constructed in secrecy by Mark's company in a large hangar not more than a few hours away. It was far too dangerous for any of them, even though they all knew they were being watched. It was a game, and all involved knew it. It was, in a way, a Mexican standoff. The government authorities knew Mark was harboring the aliens, and they watched his complex 24-7. Mark leaked out new technologies through his companies and other associates in exchange for privacy. Everyone was getting what they wanted, and that was good, but it was not an incredibly stressful balancing act that Mark, with the help of Bork and Mr. Ken, had to stay on top of. It was very, very difficult. At one point, a few years back, George and Uktal were abducted by the government agents that tried to force them to talk and to go over on their side. It was a complete fiasco that only strengthened the argument to make on Mark's side to leave the aliens alone until the time that they agreed on letting the government contact them. What the government did not know was that the aliens wanted to leave and they wanted to leave as soon as possible. The feds knew they had no choice but to trust Mark because they, they wanted 
contact with the aliens. To date, everything Mark had promised had happened. So even though the feds were anxious, they fully believed Mark would live up to his end of the deal. On a very few rare and spontaneous occasions, Mark would invite one or two government officials in to meet the aliens so as to keep them satisfied that everything was copacetic. What Mark and the aliens' agreement with the military said was that harboring the aliens would end the following year, along with the release of other technologies. But of course, Mark was not going to let down his friends. Mark's friends were the aliens now, and he had become very attached to them. Mark knew that he and George were not aging as fast as normal people, and he knew that it was because of their proximity to Bork. It was a good feeling to have, and both of them wanted it to last, but at the same time, they knew the big planned escape back tomorrow was not far off. Even though the hangar where the intergalactic vehicle was being prepared was under high security, Mark had access whenever he liked. Mr. Ken and Bork were quite pleased with the work that had been carried out with the help of Mark, and even more pleased that the intergalactic vehicle they hoped to take them back to Mara was now almost completed. They discussed their plans often with Mark and George. Mark went along with the others' plans because they were his friends, but inside he knew it would be almost impossible to take the aliens to the intergalactic vehicle and to get away with having them leave in it. It would be even more unlikely that they would be able to hijack it and return to their planet of Mara. Security and the constant monitoring of the aliens would make any plans very difficult to carry out. Mark did not want to break that type of bad news to Mr. Kin and the other Marns. Not now. Not now, at least. Even more troubling now was that Mr. Kin was talking of, quote, going public, unquote, and getting the public on their side in a, quote, request, unquote, to leave. Mark knew Mr. Kin was not comfortable with the plan that Mark was formulating at this point. Time was becoming critical, and all involved knew it. The realization they had accomplished the majority of their mission and the planet was on a good path seemed to be causing cracks in their unity as a group. They did not know the government officials as Mark knew them and there was nothing Mark could do to change their thinking. Whether they returned or not would make little difference, at least in Mark's mind, but he felt compelled to aid his friends and he also felt compelled to not allow the government to get their hands on the aliens. He knew he had difficult decisions ahead. Mark knew he had to help Mr. Kin regardless of what Mr. Kin wanted. Kafta and Jacone often talked with Mark about their strong desire to leave Earth and return to Mara. Mark had come to know the Marans well, but in a way, he still did not know them completely. They were not aggressive at all. The self-acclaimed, quote, warrior spirit, unquote, that Mr. Kin liked to profess in his tales with Mark and George was only true in Mr. Quinn's quest for adventure. Mark was troubled now because he knew there were risks he would have to take. How and when he could not decide, but he had to act soon because he knew the feds would catch up 
to the grand ruse that they were pulling to pu- try, trying to pull off at some point in time. To Mark, George, and Ernie, who came to visit on occasion, it appeared Bork had not aged at all. He was the one unchanged remaining fixture in a long Shakespearean drama. He had become a much slower person in his movements now, and he sat and meditated for long periods of times and barely moved, and his color had seemed to change to a more pale and purplish blue. He was much more selective with whom he conversed with and for how long. Even his closest confidants, Mr. Kin and Mark, only had constructive conversations with him at the most once a week or so. Bork had always elegantly avoided questions as to his age, and even Mr. Kin was not sure of his age. Mr. Kin did tell Mark it was very very long, but how long, he was not sure. Mark and George discussed the topic on occasion and tended to believe it was as long as Bork wished to stay alive. It could not be forever because he originated from a biological being. He was not completely self-replicating as a robot could be. At some point, everyone just accepted Bork for whatever he was. Bork was an intelligent creature far beyond both the Marins and the Earthlings. Bork is the one alien the feds wanted, and they were becoming increasingly anxious for the contract to be completed so they could have him for their own. Twelve years was a long time for George. He and Octal knew. She was knew the end was near, and they were... Still close lovers, George wanted Octal to remain. They talked about it. George had talked a lot about it with Mark recently as he could sense that Mark was ready to move ahead with some plan that would allow the aliens to leave. George had confronted Mark on a few occasions and Mark had always left the option open and avoided the question, telling George that was the decision of Bork and Mr. Kin, not him. George tried to convince both Bork and Mr. Kin that they should allow Octal to remain behind. And the answer was always the same. Quote, that is on our decision, and it is not Octal's decision, unquote. George did not understand that answer, and no one would explain it to him any other way. Even Octal, which George had recently become suspicious of for not having an answer to the question, seemed to want to avoid the topic. It was frustrating for George to think about so So he chose not to think about it. Instead, George delved deeper into the robot mind of Octal. Now, though it was late in January and a recent snowstorm had laid a soft blanket of snow on the ground, it was time to address the idea that soon Octal would be leaving. George and Octal were alone. Earlier, George had been in the workshop with Kafta and Jacone who both talked incessantly about the intergalactic vehicle being ready for testing. George knew a plan would be coming soon. At last, Octal explained the answer to the question. Not because she didn't know the answer before, but because now Mr. Kin had allowed her to answer. Octal sat calmly next to her human lover in the cold and explained the situation to George. Quote, George, 
you are blinded by what humans call, quote, love, unquote. I know we have briefly discussed this before, but not in relation to what has surfaced now. Yes, time has run out and options are becoming limited. I cannot predict the future. Our 14 years together has been but a drop of time to me. But without Mr. Kin or another Marin here to maintain me, it is more likely than not I would break down. You know that, right? George George dropped his mouth in surprise. Even Mark had thought that Octal was a self-replicating robot. George, I am different from Shala. Like I have told you many times, I am more autonomous than Shala. Yes, it is true that to a small degree I could become more or less self-replicating, but I do not believe that is a risk Mr. Kin wants to take. It is his decision. He allowed me to explore my affections towards you and become reflective of your emotions towards me. What we can both agree on is that we have become one. Octal leaned over and they touched lips ever so gently. Their lips lingered in a soft kiss. George no longer felt the cold air around him. He only felt the heat from Octal's soft lips. Their thoughts melded into a realm of peaceful bliss. It mattered not what the future held, at least not in the present. Mark always had a difficult time understanding the attachment that Octal and George shared. Mr. Ken had allowed Shala to accompany Mark on many of his business trips, and Mark thoroughly enjoyed her company. He often thought of her as a human and felt at times he was taking advantage of her because he treated her more like a slave than a human or a robot or whatever she really was. One thing for sure was that he did not feel he, quote, loved, unquote, her. He did not feel attached to her. His rational mind stayed rational and sex never became an emotional attachment. In recent years, he never used her for sex anyway. Yes, he would have her give him a massage on occasion, but the sensual parts had stopped, and Shala became a robot, and Mark could care less either way. Ernie, he remained in New Mexico. His boys both lived not far away and helped him with the fish farm. Actually, they more or less ran the whole operation for him. His older son had married after college, and Ernie enjoyed being a grandfather. Ernie had quit drinking, but he was not in the best of health. His hair was silver gray now, and he had a beard that was also silver gray. He took long walks with his two dogs, and on occasion, he rode around the property on horses with one of his sons. It was a peaceful and fruitful life. He was completely forgot almost sometimes about George and Mark, except for the occasional phone call and visit. As the intergalactic vehicle neared completion, Mark decided he needed to go talk with Ernie and get his opinion on how to proceed if they were going to hijack the spaceship so that the Marins and Bork could return to Mora. They rode horses and spent long hours talking about the adventures they had gone through. Ernie concluded that it would be insane to try and hijack the vehicle. 
Mark had explained to Ernie how easily they could get access to the hangar because it was his company working on the vehicle, but Ernie still believed the idea was very risky. Even if they were able to get the Marins into the vehicle, who is to say that it would function exactly like the original? But Mark knew it had been tested, and he, he became very pensive, though. He respected Ernie's opinions, but he knew he had to come up with a plan. Maybe in his mind it was a way to conclude what had been a crazy adventure for nearly 15 years, or maybe it was something else that drove him forward. Either way, Mark knew he had to move forward. There was no turning back. The next day of Mark's visit, they had a barbecue. The sky lit up with magnificent orange, lavender, and red colors at sunset. Mark spent most of the time talking with Ernie's son, about a variety of topics, but one of the main topics was if Mark believed humans would ever discover intelligent life outside of Earth. Mark kept smiling inside as he spoke with him. Every once in a while, Ernie would come over from the grill he was attending to and exchange smiles with his son and Mark, whom were both lost in their conversation. That evening, as Ernie drove Mark to the local airport where his private jet was waiting, Mark brought up the topic again. Mark spoke, I need to know, Ernie, if I need you to help me with some plans, will you be able to come to California? I knew you would not give up on the idea. Of course, if you need me, let me know, and I will be there, Ernie replied. They shook hands, and now the clock was ticking on the next step in an adventure that had changed their lives and the lives of all human history. As Mark piloted his plane back to California, he reflected on all of the decisions he had made over the years. He did not have any regrets. Then he thought about George and Ektal, and he realized he did have a regret. He had never settled down. He had never released his soul in a relationship with a woman. He smiled as his jet soared above the clouds, thinking how odd it was that his best friend George, who was in love with a robot, had made him realize his one deep regret. Now he had come up with a solution for the two lovers. It would be cruel of him to force them apart, and he knew that would cause a lifetime of regrets and, and resentment from George. The next day, Mark headed out to Mojave, where he spent half of the day inspecting the now-completed intergalactic vehicle that had been tested already. The large crew of engineers and staff had been drastically reduced now since testing was over and various components were complete. All that needed to be done was to wait until the date when it would be delivered and turned over to the U.S. government. The military represent representatives hounded Mark almost every day, day now to hurry up with the paperwork and turn the vehicle over to them. Mark instead said that he insisted they would have to wait until the actual date in the contract. Even though the stuff was completed ahead of contract, they had to wait until the date in the contract. He told them his lawyers did not want his company to face any liability in case there were any problems, and they would have to do more tests. 
Mark left his office in the hangar for one last look around and finalized his plan. He then headed back to discuss his plans with Mr. Ken and Bork. It was early evening when Mark drove in the ornate gate that took him down the nearly mile-long road to the compound where the aliens had called home now for 14 years. Mark was reminiscing as he slowly moved along the road and over the small creek to the outcrop of small buildings. Mr. Kin, George, Bork, and the others had been anxiously waiting for Mark's return. They all knew that Mark had been working on some plan for the past few weeks, and they, they wanted to know what conclusions he had arrived at. They all headed deep within the lavish underground bomb shelter that the aliens had expanded for their comfort to a small room with a circular ornate table where chairs were set up. As usual, there were refreshments set up on the table and Mark noticed the thin slices of an aromatic cactus fruit. He recalled the first time that he had met the aliens back in New Mexico. He was sure that fruit had come from some kind of cactus and had some kind of narcotic effect to a degree, but he went ahead anyway and plucked a slice of it from the tray as he took a seat and put it in his mouth. The taste was extraordinary, and it made him smile. Bork sat away from everyone else. Mr. Ken had mentioned earlier that Bork wanted to be left alone during the meeting. Bork seemed to be in a deep state of meditation. His Long, delicate hands were crossed in his lap and his eyes were closed. After some time of small talk and delving into the delicious refreshments, Mark decided it was time to break the news to the aliens. Mark's face had a very serious look on it and not all of them were sure he would have anything encouraging to say by the way he looked. The reason for Mark's serious look was due to the gravity of the situation they were all in, and he knew he could not reveal how serious, really, things were. Okay, we're all gathered today to discuss our future. As most of you know, the inter intergalactic vehicle is near completion. It's been tested. Actually, it is completed and has been tested more than once, but the government doesn't know that. The only aspect of that that has not been tested is if it will go into hyper-accelerate drive. The engineers and everyone else believes it will, as do I. That test will not be made for at least another few months, so that leaves us with a window of opportunity. Mark smiled as he could see some of them are and started to smile. They all knew that Mark was going to propose next. So, if we are going to hijack the vehicle, we had better finalize a plan and make our move soon. Jacone and Kafta jumped up out of their seats and cheered. Then Kafta nearly fainted as he put his head down and began to weep. The idea of returning to their home planet had seemed very distant and remote. Even though they had all held out a few rays of hope, the reality of the situation had never led them to hope. Mr. Ken and Borka told them the odds of them ever returning tomorrow were extremely low. So... To have the human, Mark, stand in front of them and propose it was more than just a small shock, but it was a good shock. 
Mark let them vent their excitement for a bit while he munched on some more snacks and wondered to himself if he was really doing the right thing. He knew he was headed for the unknown. The government would take everything from him, and most likely he would be locked up for a long time. He let out a little chuckle and said to himself, This is my life. I am crazy, and I know it. He then turned back to face the Mars and tried once again to clarify the situation for them. Look, this is going to be very difficult and very dangerous to pull off. I know that you think I have the ability to do whatever I want with the vehicle, but that simply is not true. I am the majority stockholder in the company, and the company is now under contract with the government. Security is very tight at the complex, and even more so at the large hangar where the vehicle is housed. There is no way we can just waltz in there and say we are going to take the vehicle for a little ride. I have a lot of planning to do if we are going to pull this hijack off. What is important is that we all agree we want to do this and that we are all prepared to move on a moment's notice when the opportunity arises. The Morins all nodded their heads vigorously in agreement. Mark had never seen their one big eye in the center of each of their foreheads look so bright and happy. Even Mr. Kin was now <clears throat> it seemed to be happier than usual, and he was definitely in agreement. The meeting ended, and the Morins walked around jabbering with each other. They were all extremely excited at the prospect of returning to their home planets. George and Ektal left quickly and decided to hike over to a special place where they liked to spend time with each other. Mr. Kent stayed behind in the room with Mark, and the two of them were alone. Mark had sensed that Mr. Kin had some serious matters to discuss with him. They knew that now the time they spent with each other was going to be limited if the plan worked out and the Morins were able to leave planet Earth. They pulled chairs close and sat staring at each other. Mr. Kin spoke first, but not until he looked Mark up and down for any sign of what he was thinking. Mark was used to this type of Morin observation process, he realized now that it was an evolutionary habit that the Marns had developed, similar to the saying in English, quote, think before you speak, unquote. Mark smiled as Mr. Kin stared at him. Mark, I have known you for a long time now, and you have helped our mission here on your planet in many ways, and I would have never imagined what we've done is possible, but it has been done. I have to thank you for the others, as they were very excited and did not take the time to extend their gratitude for all that you have done for us, I will be gathering a variety of socio-ecological and other data that some of us have been working on to give you before we leave. There will be projections for the next 2,000 years for your planet. It is very important data, and as always, I will trust you to reveal it as you see need. I will also include the exact navigational coordinates for Mara just in case sometime in the future people from Earth wish to travel there. We both know that you have had a very difficult time trying to convince those in your government the value of using the knowledge we have 
in specific humanistic ways, but that is just part of your evolution as a species. As you know well, Marans and Earthlings do actually have quite a bit in common. Mr. Kin continued, We came here with the direction and aid of Bork. For me, personally, the idea of a great adventure was all I needed to be convinced to follow Bork. I also believe that was a good part of the reason for the other Morans to make their decisions to participate. Also, the restrictions and controls by our Federation had reached a level far beyond what most Morans ever imagined could happen. I see similar patterns happening on Earth. The globalist ideology is great on a social and cultural level, but when it comes to manipulation and control of technologies, it can be very stifling to common citizens. Mark, this is something you will have to fight as long as you are alive. Ever since we introduced fusion technologies through you, we have seen great changes towards less wars and more cooperation, but at the same time, the number of governments abusing this energy technology has also increased. What we hoped would issue in an era of basically free energy for your planet is now mired in corruption and greed within many nations. Still, our hope of ending wars and threats of nuclear wars seems to have happened with the introduction of the technology, and I am sure all Earthlings are happy for that. Mark listened intently as Mr. Kin spoke. He felt a bit melancholy that soon his best friend in life would soon be leaving. But at the same time, he had a new sense of purpose as it related to his role in the greater mission the aliens had undertaken to change the course of his planet. They paused for a few minutes and reminisced about the various adventures they had gone through. They munched on snacks and both could feel the need for something, something more to be said, something greater and something beyond even the great ideals they both cherished. Mr. Tinkin continued, Mark, you know well my story and how my planet became mired in heavy central government. My wealth is all that preserved my freedom in the long run. I do see similar patterns happening here on your planet. Your nation, because of the size and technology of its military, will remain as a dominant nation for as far as I can predict into the future. Also, the fight between liberty and more government control seems to be in store for the future. When too much wealth is concentrated in private citizens or corporations, it seems governments become fearful of their power, whereas when too much power becomes concentrated in governments, the common people often just get more brainwashed until enough of them reach a state of desperation and revolt. Mr. Kin chuckled and Mark laughed along with him. They both knew their time together was limited and all that was left for the two of them to do was to treasure the common beliefs that seemed to bind them. Mark looked down at the smooth marble floor and thought about what Mr. Kin was implying. It was something he had learned too well over the past many years, harboring the aliens, starting the companies, 
joining the, quote, shadow government, unquote, of the USA government, life was a constant undercover reality that had little or no mystery. What it did have was a large dose of constant stress. Mark had never thought much about the distant future as he was too much involved in his near future. If Mr. Kin was telling him that the corporate media, military, and the elites behind nations would someday grow to the point of severely restricting liberties, then it was already too late because they were already too restrictive as far as Mark was concerned. I have a question, sir. First, as we both know, the plan to hijack the intergalactic vehicle is not a perfect plan because there are no perfect plans. I was happy in the meeting. The others did not say anything about the risks of one or more of us losing our lives and falling, failing with the mission. Mr. Kin, it is a funny game all the players seem to be playing. We know my government watches us. We also know they allow us to have our safe space here. You know as well as I do that the date for the contract to fulfill is near at hand. At that time, I am required to hand over other documents that we have promised them. Now that the intergalactic vehicle is completed, I can move the date up or delay it with a certain time frame. The date will be set shortly, and then the plan goes into motion. As you can see, I am nervous, but we will all do our best. My question now has nothing to do with our plan. It has to do with me, personally. Do you have any premonition into my future, Mr. Ken? Mr. Ken had a wry smile that began to turn into a grin, which he then pulled back and took a deep breath because he realized for Mark the earthling that it was a serious question. Mark truly believed Mr. Kin had some method of premonition other than simple deductive reasoning. Deductive reasoning was nearly genetic for the Marins. Mr. Kin reached out and took a small blue grape and plopped it in his mouth. He enjoyed the taste. He then turned to Mark and replied, quote, As much as I would like to, I will not answer that question. It is not that I don't want to, but it is not my place to. I will say this, as you know from our many discussions, including those with Bork, life is endless throughout the universe. Life is intelligent on many different levels and comes in a vast variety of shapes and forms. The knowledge and experience Bork has is something no Marin or Earthling will ever experience for thousands and thousands of generations, if ever at all. Bork is very rare, even amongst his own kind. I believe you and others have mentioned to me that what impresses you equally or more than his intelligence is his compassion. I think all of you now realize the effect he has had on your aging process. I am sure by now your government friends are very interested in that aspect of Bork also. Mark nodded and Mr. Kin continued, as we all know, Bork went into one of his lengthy meditations over a month ago. I spoke with him yesterday. He wanted to have to go over the plans with you for the escape, but I know you have formed an 
elaborate plan, and all of us are on board with that plan. We're all, we all understand the risks, and we are all willing to take them. We all understand that you've enlisted Ernie to help also, and I believe he will be successful helping us. There is another reason that I'm happy Ernie is coming here. Mark sensed something in the alien's voice, something he had not heard before in the many years of their friendship. It was something dark and foreboding. Mark did not like the feeling. He stared at Mr. Kin, and Mr. Kin stared back and folded his hands in his lap and looked down at the floor with the frozen, blank stare. Mark looked away and then took a breath. Then he said, what? What, what is it, Mr. Kin? To be continued.